Okay, there is a lot to discuss uh, with my next guest, who was a fan favorite. In fact, many, many have asked me, is David okay? Is David, he hasn't been around a while. Well, guess what? He is on now. That's what counts. Uh, Emeritus Pace and all the great work he did back in the day, political science professor extraordinaire back in that day, and still is, by the way, uh, Dr. David Caputo. And we say, first off, a very happy new year to you, sir. And yes, uh, I received a lot of text messages regarding you and asked why you haven't been on. So we, we appreciate and everything else. We hope you're doing better. Doing just fine, Jay. Thank you very much, and thanks for the New Year's uh, greeting and uh, best wishes to the New Year's belated, but nonetheless, nonetheless sincere to you and everyone there. It was great having you back, my friend. So I was just talking about the Secretary of Defense there, David, who has been uh, missing in action, so to speak. He's been hospitalized. We hope he's doing better. I think he is. He's eight days in. But it's just unbelievable to me that there seemed to be a communication lack thereof as far as his condition uh, and the people that really matter the most as far as the administration and everything else, the higher-ups who keep us safe uh, with all that's going on in the world. I mean, I can't, I don't understand how this happens, can you? No, I, I think this is very difficult to explain. Um there's there's something more than going on than what we know today, and I think we'll learn more in the coming days. But I think it is very unusual, um, and I can't think of uh, any other recent uh, episode like this. Apparently, the Secretary of Defense, for whatever reason, uh, did not want his uh, situation to be uh, known, uh, but one would think that uh, as you say, in this this world, in this day, that uh, it would be essential for the White House and the President to understand that he is, um, you know, not available, and that has not been was not the case. Apparently, it was not the case. So uh, I think there's still a lot more to learn. Uh, the uh, Secretary's statement, um, I think, went part way towards resolving things in terms of saying he'll do better in the future but still didn't give an adequate explanation as to why what happened happened. Yeah, uh, and I actually heard a couple of a couple of quotes uh, from the Secretary of State who's traveling in the Middle East, Anthony Blinken, who said, you know, I spoke to Lloyd uh, the other day. It was like nothing happened. You know, I'm glad, I'm glad Anthony knows, but the rest of the country, certainly the President of the United States, couldn't figure it out until last Thursday, we understand, so... Um, listen, we hope he's doing well, but, you know, you, you need the head of defense uh, to operate properly. Uh, and I don't even know who the backup, I'm sure there's backup, but uh, my goodness. Uh, well, that's, I think that's the other part of the problem is yeah. the, uh, uh, what was transferred, what powers were transferred, or what uh, did the backup person uh, attempt to do? Was there anything involving her? So it, it's, it, I think it will be a, a mess for the uh, administration to try to explain. But I think it's also something that uh, will be uh, moved on relatively quickly, um, given everything else that's going on in the world. I'm talking with Dr. David Caputo. So I'm going to do a little potpourri for you, David. So there's the spending bill, I guess, was agreed upon uh, through the end of the fiscal year. Uh, Mike Johnson, the uh, Speaker of the House, 
Uh, obviously, coming to some sort of an agreement there. There was a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of back and forth. Now we've seen this in the past, where there seems to be, you know, you know, kind of these stopgap type deals. Um, but in essence, uh, you you have a deal between congressional leaders. I guess it avoids a partial shutdown uh, that would have happened later on in the month. So you're looking at spending cash for defense, domestic programs that Congress said as part of the bill to suspend the debt limit, is it, until 2025, David? Yes. Uh, I think the thing that's significant about this particular agreement, and I want to come back to that in just a second, yeah. but I think the important thing is that it does carry a country through the end of this fiscal year, through the end until October 1st. And I think that's very significant. So we will not have to face this again, assuming, and this is the earlier point, assuming that, in fact, this is agreed to in both the House and the Senate. I think clearly it would be agreed to in the Senate. But will the House um, extreme right members uh, argue against it? And will we need then some democratic support in order to pass it and what does that mean so i would say that this is not necessarily a done deal um if it is done uh if if it is finally passed and put into place i think it is a significant achievement because it takes this issue off uh and you'll get into the budget discussion next just about the time that you're into the home stretch in the um 2024 presidential election. I think you're right. About $16 billion or so in additional spending cuts from the previous agreement. And the previous one was broken by then-Speaker Kevin McCarthy and the president. About $30 billion or so less than what the Senate was considering. So it kind of speeds up, you know, the $20 billion or so in cuts already agreed to. And I'm talking about the IRS. Also rescinds about $6 billion in COVID relief money that had been approved but not spent yet. So that is a uh, uh, another key component here, but uh, at least, at least, Dave, you've got an agreement both sides of the aisle, uh, which is a lot better than what it was back in the past past tough, you know months, even that of a year, year and a half ago. You know? Yes, uh, I think so, and I think what it is, I think uh, leadership in both parties. Uh, finally came to came to the con- conclusion that they needed to, to get a longer-term solution here. There you go. David Caputo with us. All right, I'm a little over the, all over the map. That's it. Called it a potpourri. You got the caucus uh, for Iowa coming up next Monday. You're going to see a lot of Ron DeSantis. You're going to see a lot of Nikki Haley when you start surfing the, uh, the channels uh, as they try and be the alternative to the front runner, and that is, of course, the former president uh, in uh, Donald Trump. Do you expect, just cut to the chase here, do you expect any surprises at all when all said and done, Dave, next Monday? I think there's always a possibility with the Iowa caucuses because of the way they're organized and administered uh, as, a non- as a party function and not as a um, as a uh, election function by state officials, I think there's a. I think one area that could affect the former president is whether or not his supporters are um, more nonchalant about the um, caucuses and they're taking it for granted. And whereas the DeSantis and Haley people 
may be uh, much more interested in, in turning out. So I think turnout will be the one of the keys. Uh, and how you get that turnout is very much an individual, person-to-person, face-to-face type of uh, contact. Uh, and so I, I think turnout could be one. I think the second thing is that if you look at Big and Little Mo. Uh, certainly Nikki Haley appears to be gathering some steam, uh, whether or not it would be enough to be in second place or whether uh, she has a serious challenge with the former president. I would doubt it. I would expect that the former president would win uh, by at least 15 to 20 percent, if not greater than that, and that the battle is ready for second place. And that has implications going into New Hampshire given uh, Haley's uh, endorsement by Governor Sununu in New Hampshire. So uh, remains to be seen, but I don't think there's any serious challenge to the former president at this point. A couple of miscues by Nikki Haley over the last week and a half, some of the things she said regarding slavery and whatnot. Uh, DeSantis, you know, it still kind of, you know, moves on, doesn't give you a lot uh, regarding personality. I think you need a little personality here. Uh, and DeSantis has never really regained that from some of his early miscues, you know. So again, it's it's Donald Trump's to lose here. Uh, I don't see it. Do you see anything regarding the Supreme Court? They're going to take this up, by the way, Colorado, come February the eighth. That's pretty quick, and that could set a precedent. What do you do? You think anything? Well, well let's get let's get to this. Cut to the chase. How does the Supreme Court rule, in your estimation, one month from today? Well, I think they have a very difficult task ahead. Um, uh, I would not be surprised if their ruling would uh, deal less with whether or not the statute uh, applies, I mean, the amendment applies, and more with the fact that uh, where is the uh, conviction or the proof that the former president is an insurrectionist uh, since he's not been uh, tried and, um, and and found guilty of the, on the, uh, those charges. So they may duck the broader constitutional question by simply saying that uh, Colorado, uh, that the decision from the Colorado uh, court uh, simply ignored the fact that this particular president, while he's been accused of being an insurrectionist, has not been found guilty in a court of law. So that's one possibility. The second is they may take on the question itself, and I, I would expect uh, that that will be very interesting to watch, given the conservative, moderate, and more liberal wing of the court, and with the conservative wing having the power, uh, it'll be very interesting to watch what the Trump appointees decide. But I would expect they may try to uh, avoid the issue, um, the specific issue as to whether or not the statute applies to the president. And uh, so I think the broader case is coming up in terms of whether or not the president can be held responsible uh, for decisions that he made while in office after he is out of office is a much more important one. So we'll see what happens here. All right. Um, David Caputo with us. Let's go to the Democrats. Now, Joe Biden is underwater in every which way as far as whatever category you look at. He's not doing well, approval and everything else, as low as you could get. Um, With that being said, you know, he kind of kicked it off the other day in Valley Forge. He's taking dead aim at Trump. The fact of the matter is, and I said this a long time ago, and I thought that 
they would replace him. Um, as we get along with this year, and who knows what could happen. you got the Democratic Convention in Chicago come August. Things could happen between now and then, obviously. But in essence, do the Democrats kind of ride this whole thing with Biden until the very end and hoping that an incumbent picks up steam? Maybe Trump stubs, uh, you know, along, stubs his toe along the way uh, with the legalities and everything else that are trailing him. Do you foresee Joe Biden as the nominee for the Democrats? Oh, that's a difficult question. Uh, <clears throat> yes, I do at this point. Uh, I think some things could change it, but let's let's look at it for a second at why the president is so unpopular. I mean, a large part of it is due to the um, public's reaction in terms of finance and the economy. Uh, and look what's happened to the economy. The economy is uh, stronger. Uh, the inflation rate is lower. Real uh, real earnings are now outpacing inflation. So does that turn around? Is that I think the um, Democrats are convinced that eventually the American public will realize that the um, Democrats have, and the president have done a very good job with the economy. Uh, now, is that going to happen or not? There's no sign of it in terms of the polling. This is a very unpopular president for whatever sets of reasons. Uh, so, uh, you know, what else is likely to change? Is, are things likely to change in the with Ukraine? Probably not. Are things likely to change with the uh, the Gaza war? Uh, that may, may may expand. So, I think some of the issues that the president faces are very difficult. Uh, and I think the administration feels that when a final analysis is done, when everything is over with, that in fact the um, the American public will decide that they're better off with an unpopular Biden than uh, with a uh, return of the former president in terms of Donald Trump. The other thing I would say, the, the other uh, you know, that is unknown at this point, and I would I would just raise this. And that is one, who's going to be the vice president for um, Trump, assuming Trump gets the nomination? Is it going to be Nikki Haley, or is it going to be someone else? And the same thing, I would argue, uh, you know, who's going to be the vice presidential choice for the Democrats? I think everyone assumes that it will be Harris, and I think that's a safe assumption. But there's always a possibility that the way they'll change the ticket is uh, Harris will find some reason why she will not be a candidate again, and then they'll uh, replace her with someone else. So it's very difficult to, to to know what's going to happen. And 2024, I think, promises to be, in some respects, one of, certainly one of the most unusual races, but in some respects it may be uh, very similar uh, to 1948, perhaps, where you had a very unpopular president running, um, and everyone expected him to lose. Uh, I think in this case, a lot will depend on what happens to the economy and also what happens in terms of um, foreign policy and, and the world. If we get involved in a, act of, a much more expanded war in the Mideast, or if uh, China were to invade Taiwan, any number of possibilities uh, could really alter this race a great deal. You know, as far as the economy, so David Capito, the only other thing I will disagree with the fact, yeah, okay, so you're adding jobs and your unemployment numbers are okay. 
Uh, but you know what? It still comes down to going to the grocery store, and it still comes down to how much money is left in the checks uh, for folks. When you have 62%, give or take, that are going week to week and living by that, that is not a healthy economy in my estimation, nor is it when you go to the grocery store and, and you're paying $60, $70 more than you, than you did. Uh, that's not healthy. So all this other stuff, Wall Street and, and uh, GDP and CP, I'll tell you, um, it, it still comes down to the fact of what people have left over in their in their bank accounts. And they're not happy right now, and they're going to take it out on the on the leader of the free world. And I'll say this regarding the the border crisis, which to me is the number one issue. Uh, and that has not eased, only gotten worse. When you have over half a million encounters over the last two months of the year of 2023, I mean, that speaks loud and strong as far as where we are at in this country. That is a major crisis. It's about safety. It's about just not getting it done. And no regard as far as anything. This administration just continues to act as it does. Uh, you know, you could halt, you could put it, put a, a kind of a stopgap regarding Title 42 something in order to ease the tensions at that border. Those are two top flight deals. Let me just say this. You can comment. Uh, I think Trump, if he is going to pick a number two, uh, Christy Nome uh, would be my choice. Now, I'll say this. She's been campaigning very hard in Iowa for him, extremely hard in Iowa. Uh, and I think she's well-liked. Certainly, she has that quadrant of the nation uh, in play here. That's not a bad choice. Uh, certainly to bring Christy Noman as the number two. We all thought she was going to throw her hat into this ring at this point in time, but kind of a smart move with everything going on and Trump with the big lead and everything else. Uh, I certainly don't think it would be a bad choice to put Noman in that slot. Give me your uh, your thinking regarding that and basically what I said regarding the economy, Dave, which you kind of disagree with. Go ahead. Well, I, t- just two, uh, three comments. Number one, I think the... Um uh, I do agree with you that the issue, uh, to me, the most toxic issue for the Democrats could, in fact, be the border. And uh, they're going to do whatever they can to keep that issue uh, off the table or uh, not re- receive as much um, emphasis. Uh, number two, in terms of selection of the vice president on, on the part of uh, Trump, uh, I, I think that... Uh, he needs to be very cautious in this decision. I think this decision could be important because some people might feel that uh, whether or not he'll serve out the term because of all the legalities and all the other uncertainties and so forth. Uh, so that might be very important. As far as specific people at this point, I think it'd be uh, far too soon to uh, begin to speculate. But I, you can make, uh, I think, uh, geographic uh, references as you have. Uh, in, in terms of why some candidates might be more important than others. And then lastly, on the economy, I think we do disagree on this. I do think the economy uh, is uh, going to end up being one of the more powerful assets for this administration. And I just base that on when you look at what's happened, for instance, liquid propane gas, we're now the leading exporter and the leading producer in the world. And when you look at... Um, uh, how the inflation is coming down, and not in small amounts, but in large amounts. And then finally, I think the the, the rise in real rate, uh, 
real wages and so forth. I think if that continues, uh, and there's a reason to think that it will, I think the economy uh, will, in fact, be one of the stronger points for the, the Democrats. All right. You, you agree to disagree on that. Um, but, but that's okay. That's why we have discussions. Uh, so we'll see how that certainly translates uh, throughout the uh, end of the year. A couple of minutes uh, with uh, with uh, David. Let's get to the the Middle East. And uh, he has mentioned uh, prior the Secretary of State has, has made the rounds. He went to Istanbul. He kicked it off uh, heading to Israel this week uh, to meet with the heads of state there, obviously uh, trying to de-escalate uh, tensions. Meanwhile, you got another phase of this war kind of in place, uh, David. And I still say, listen, you know, and yet you, you haven't gotten a lot of discussion here lately. Uh, there are still hostages there. There are still Americans there. Okay, we lost about thirty or so, give or take, uh, in the October seventh attacks. Still hostages uh, in play. Very little discussion in that regard uh so uh in essence do you expect anything different to come out of these talks this week between blinken uh and netanyahu and herzog and all the heads of state over there uh probably not i think that uh, there's still the disagreement between the the united states and israel on uh, how extensive the war should be and what safeguards need to be implemented. And then you also have so many different actors right now involved uh, from the various uh, Palestinian groups and others uh, to other foreign governments. And, uh, you know, this discussion on the hostages has been very quiet. Um, that may be a sign that, in fact, some discussion is going on. Um, I think it's very difficult as, as you have an expansion, or at least not a cessation, of parts of the war to return to the issue of a ceasefire, to get uh, other hostages out and so forth. So I think, I think this is the, uh, one of the key issues that the administration has to face, and it's an issue because, uh, in, in terms of the election, the upcoming election, because of the, uh, the differences in age groups with younger voters feeling very strongly that the administration is wrong to support Israel as much as it has, and older uh, voters saying that, yes, that support is, is, is necessary. So I think this is a, a conundrum in terms of how you resolve this, and it really goes into the broader picture of what happens not just in Israel, but also what happens in Ukraine, with Ukraine not getting additional aid at this point. Uh, how much longer um, will they be able to hold out, and what's what's going to you know happen? So I think it's a complex situation. I think the Secretary of State has uh, been very successful in the past in at least getting to calm some of this. Whether or not we'll get to a real solution, I think remains to be seen, and that's not going to change uh, till Netanyahu decides that the war is, um, has, has, has succeeded as much as the Israelis feel they have to. Remember, this is a, a, an individual under great um, duress in his home country for a variety of things, including the, um, the lack of intelligence on uh, the, the war issue. No question about it. I, you know, I will say Blinken has done a subpar job, in my estimation, 
Uh, he hasn't given you real firm solutions long term, especially with Ukraine. Uh, quite frankly, um, I'm, I'm not so sure about Blinken, even from the get-go. Listen, he lost me during the botched withdrawal in Afghanistan a couple of years ago. Uh, he's given you really nothing, a little stability here and there, but really uh, nothing to speak of. Now, with that being said, let's kind of end it on this. Uh, let's let's head back into the uh, New York area. Obviously, the crisis of migrants, the price tag, if this thing is not solved properly, you know, New York could be looking at a whopping $12 billion by year 2025. We know that Governor Hochul is going to deliver her State of the State address, David, tomorrow. Um, you know, you got a $4 billion-plus deficit. you got a mass exodus happening here in New York, 100000 She's not done herself any favors for Long Island. In fact, she's going at it now with an Nassau County executive the other day. Maybe Bruce Blakeman shot up his mouth a little too much, maybe in my estimation. By saying, you know what, leave us alone here. Meanwhile, she controls some of the aid and everything else. You've got to be careful there. Um, basically, Eric Adams, you know, he's, he's been under fire here. Uh, and rightfully so. I think he's done a very poor job. He's spoken out late with his crisis. He hasn't been vehemently sounding off enough at the heart of this problem here. You have Andrew Cuomo in this mix as a possible candidate for the mayoral post down the road. We'll see there. But give me a sense here right now of what you're seeing in your home state here. You know, you've got complete disarray and everything else, and it seems like a governor who really doesn't care. Well, I think what you have is sort of New York politics uh, as New York politics often is. And that is, it appears to be in disarray. You have a variety of groups. I think one of the key things for uh, the Adams administration is what happens with their attempt to broaden the definition of of um, individuals who can be involuntarily hospitalized, and that becomes a key issue in terms of crime and the mental, mentally ill in the city. So I think it remains to be seen uh, what's going to happen there. As far as the governor. I think she's uh, trying to build her coalition for her reelection, and um, I think that it will be interesting to see uh, various choices that are made in terms of the budget. I mean, I think till we get a better feel for what the budget choices are going to be from the legislature and and how the governor responds, uh, I think this is uh, very typical of New York. And you know, we we always hear these dire reports about the the demise of New York, both the city and the and the state. Mm-hmm. And in most cases, it's managed to survive and flourish uh, as we go forward. So I think we just have to wait and see what happens here. But I, I would argue that this kind of conflict, this kind of disagreement uh, between the uh, county executive and the and the governor, not new. I mean, this has happened in the past and. Um, uh, it's uh, part of New York politics. Without question. Without question. You kind of you kind of just have to kind of play the game a little bit and see where it pans out. Although Blakeman, uh, you know, Blakeman's been a little aggressive. No question about it. We'll see how it uh, certainly uh, shakes out in the long run. Uh, David, it's so good to have you back in the fold. Again, a very happy new year, and I look forward to many uh, a conversation. I think we covered the gambit here today. I might have missed a few. David will tell me. But uh, in essence, it's great to have you back in the mix. You stay healthy now. Thank you. Thank you very much. The only thing we missed was the discussion about climate, and maybe next time.
<laughs> okay. There you go. The great David Caputo, of course. 